Well, good morning to all of you and welcome. And welcome particularly to those of you who are new uh, to this extended community we know as the Episcopal Church in Colorado. We're glad that you're here and we welcome you. And it's a good thing that all of us are here today. Just setting aside some time right in the heart of this Holy Week to renew our vows. And always, as always, I cannot thank you enough, all of you, for your great care and thought and commitment and good work for this common life and ministry that we share. I say it a lot, I'll say it again. You are a gift and you are a blessing. And I count it a great joy to share with you in our common life and ministry. So one of the more enigmatic figures in the passion narrative is one we meet right at the very beginning of the story and often go right past. It's the donkey a colt that has never been ridden, the foal of an ass, as foretold by the prophet Zechariah. Now, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them make reference to this one character. So the donkey can't simply be an incidental figure or an insignificant reference. Scholars observe that this is a messianic reference taken from the Hebrew scripture and applied specifically to Jesus to make the point that this one from Nazareth is in fact the long-awaited Messiah. Commentators note this detail, that historically military leaders rode on horses while messengers of peace rode on donkeys. Preachers typically point to the image of humility and go on to reflect that the nature and essence of Jesus' power is to be found in this exercise of self-emptying service. It's all very straightforward. And none of this should come as much news to any of us. What intrigues me, however, is actually the level of detail in the story. Think about this. A level of detail that even Mark, a writer of very few words, includes in his gospel. And particularly, it's this. This detail, the the very specific dialogue that takes place between some bystanders and the disciples. Jesus tells his disciples, as the story goes, to go into the village ahead of them, to untie a colt that they will find there. And then he says this. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say, because. That's a little more than that. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Just say, because the Lord has need of this. That's it. This this simple question, and it's 
deceptively simple answer is the preface to the passion narrative. Yes, it's just a donkey. Yes, there are historical and biblical allusions to be found in this that inform our understanding of Jesus. That's all fine and good. But at the same time, right here, at the beginning of the story of this Holy Week, there is this single question put to those who follow Jesus. Why are you doing this? To which there is only one possible answer. Because the Lord has need of this. Today we gather to renew our life vows to our life's work, this holy enterprise that that Jesus has so graciously entrusted into our collective hands, not because of who we are or what we have accomplished or what credentials we have earned or because we are exceptional, but simply because the love that is our life has need of us. So let me return, if you will, to a theme that, that I've talked about before, but I am just not ready to give this one up yet. And, and indulge me and, and reflect with me again on this passion narrative, this, this narrative of self-emptying and surrender and death. I've said it before, I will say it again, this, this narrative is not limited just to Jesus. It's an old, old story. An old, tired, tedious, wearisome, and exhausting story. The story of how love is killed by fear. Just think of the characters that dominate the narrative. Herod is a very troubled man who sees and knows down deep that his way of ruling, his way of being, his world, his his way of knowing who he is, is a thing of the past. He is one who knows that his power is slipping rapidly through his fingers due to religious and imperial forces that are simply beyond his control. And Herod clings in fear to what little he has left. Pilate's a bureaucrat, a mid-level manager, who's been placed in charge of an imperial backwater called Palestine. And he tries only to manage his way through the politics he faces and the Roman hierarchy to whom he is accountable. He fears, I am sure, losing out on a transfer and maybe even a promotion. The soldiers simply do their duty, fearing, I'm sure, losing the respect of their peers or the loss of rank or 
or something as basic as the loss of a paycheck. The multitudes, they have their own story too. The multitudes fear doing the hard work of being self-differentiated, well-integrated human beings who have the insight and the courage to stand up and to stand tall and to speak out and over and against their peers for what is clearly right and just. The religious authorities relish their distinctive position being exceptional in the eyes of God. And fear, I am sure, the loss of what little position they really have. The disciples, as understandable as it is, fear losing their lives. And they flee. And they hide. And they're paralyzed. The result... It's chilling. Everyone plays a part in an unspoken conspiracy. Everyone dances together, consciously and unconsciously, intentionally and unintentionally. Everyone dances together to the tune of fear. And the very love that is life is killed. The very love that can heal them and free them and empower them and renew them and restore them and liberate them and give them real life This love that is divine, this love that is life, this love is killed. It's that basic. I've said it before, I will say it again, and again, and again, and again, and again. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. And you know, as well as I do, that this same story is not just about Jesus, but is also a narrative that has been played out literally for millennia across nations cultures, races, religions, and tribes right down to this very day, right here, right now. But have you ever considered this? And I know I'm treading on slightly heretical territory here. Have you ever considered this? That it need not have been that way? 
Jesus' passion and death is a story of of one divinely human being standing up against the overwhelming forces of religious authorities and imperial powers. The story of Jesus' life and death is a story of uneducated and insignificant people, fishermen, tax collectors, sinners, shepherds, peasants, and hangers-on, standing no apparent chance against the well-entrenched powers of this world. And even so, I believe that it need not have played out that way. Every character, every character in the passion narrative could have chosen differently. Everyone could have altered the course of events even ever so slightly, could have made a difference, could have chosen to name what was right and true and just and life-giving, could have chosen to dug down deep, to take heart, to stand tall, to have courage, to push through the fear, to take a risk, and to dare to follow in a more transcendent and life-giving way. The only way that is life Our hope, the way of love. Why are you doing this? This this seemingly insignificant, certainly sketchy, possibly illegal, and clearly questionable thing is what the bystanders ask the disciples. It does seem insignificant. It does seem trivial and foolish, an absolutely small and inconsequential action in the face of the powers of this world. Why are you doing this? Because the Lord needs even this. Even this. The Lord needs this. People who have the courage to walk in the way of what is right, what is true, what is just, what is compassionate, what is life-giving to every human being on the face of this earth. Yes, everyone in the passion narrative are small people over and against great odds. Everyone is insignificant, but everyone could have chosen differently. And, and, and so must we. This is what it means to renew our vows. Vows taken in the church made before the bishop, but given by all of us from the bottom of our hearts for all of this world. Why are you doing this?
consider your calling, Paul asks us in Corinthians. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And so it is. But God has chosen you. Amen.